everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I'm Taylor Rockwell. Daryl Grove is not yet back from England, so instead I'm going to be talking to Sam Stashko from The Athletic. Uh, the MLS Collective Bargaining Agreement is about to be up for renegotiation, and with that in mind, Sam and his colleague Paul Tenorio, who's been on the show a couple times, recently published an article in which they go through their sort of ideal scenario for what ACBA could look like if people listen to the two of them. Uh, here's uh, an extract from the article. Quote, the regulations that govern how MLS clubs can build and structure their teams are complex, convoluted, Byzantine, and bewildering. So much so that even the people who are paid to understand them occasionally get confused. But that doesn't mean we can't dream about a streamlined MLS. There is a way to structure the roster rules that would simplify the entire process, achieve league goals, and remain within the realm of reason, end quote. So that's just what they did. Uh, So I'm talking to Sam today about their plan, him and Paul's, uh, as well as the issues that form the background for their approach, the plan itself, the ways in which their ideal plan could be implemented, and then what the actual upcoming CBA negotiations might look like. Um, It's simultaneously, I should clarify, less dense than it sounds, but also pretty substantive in identifying the issues that Sam and Paul think need some revision in order to kind of bring MLS up to date to make it the kind of selling league, the developing league that we want it to be. So without further ado, here's Sam Stashkel of The Athletic explaining their pie-in-the-sky CBA scenario. Joining me making yet another appearance on the Total Soccer Show. I say it as though it's a negative. It is decidedly not. It's Mr. Sam Stashkel of The Athletic. Sam, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you so much for having me on. I came in with a lot of energy there and then I think simultaneously disrespected you. So I apologize for that and for the loud energy. Um, you know, I, I have a constant chip on my shoulder, so, you know, regardless <laughs> of what you would have said, I would have taken it as a sign of disrespect, so don't even worry about it. I appreciate that, uh, and, and I appreciate that you've got the chip on the shoulder, because I, I have to believe that helps you when it comes to dealing with people who who write responses to controversial articles, which is what I'm going to dub the article that you and Paul Tenorio wrote together for The Athletic, How We'd Rewrite MLS's Maddeningly Complex Roster Rules. That was a a bit of an undertaking you all went through and basically broke down the things that you think aren't working uh, in the lead-up to the the next CBA, uh, and then looking at sort of what could be changed, what you all would like to be changed. But one thing that you mentioned, and this is where I want to start, is that both of you had previously been asked by executives, like, like just little questions about like, could we do this? And it seems like you all have kind of a very good grasp of the way MLS rules and regulations work right now. Can you, can you give a little bit of uh, background on that one? Like have, what's, sure. what sort of yeah. questions have you been asked? So I can't speak for Paul, mm-hmm. obviously, specifically, but um, you know, sort of in these discussions that I've had over the years, it's not so much someone calls me up and is like, Hey, what do you think? Like, can you clarify yeah. this rule? Like, no, they have a league office to call for that sort of sort of thing. But you know, it's, kind of in the in the context of a broader discussion about whatever it might just be they might say something and then i might say well you can't do that you know that's not within the rules and they're like oh you know what you're right like (laughs) or you know what like yeah i don't know if that's right like and then we have to like spend 10 minutes looking at the roster rules and trying to figure out if whatever scenario they laid out is allowed so like that would be the most common um, sort of situation in which something like that comes up. How, wait, how many? Wait, hold on. How many blockbuster that, trades have you ruined in your life by the, by being like, uh, oh I don't think God. that works. And I don't like, know wait, what? That's trades. It's like all like small, tiny things, but like it, a lot of it has to do with allocation. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the Giovanni dos Santos situation was a huge one for this mm. um, over the winter with with all those 
whatever was going to happen when they were the galaxy were trying to bring him back and essentially add 40 piece um and get around that rule um so that there was a lot going on there I, even the um the, the arajo one um for the galaxy which was happening pretty much the same exact time as the geo dos santos one it was like they wanted to sign him as a homegrown but somehow he went through waivers and they had to trade colorado to move up like that one was another one where it was just like what the hell is going on here um so anyway, the point of this article, a big point of it, was to try and simplify that because it's so complex for no real good reason in a lot of ways, at least from where we stand. Um, so yeah, a lot of calls like that over the years, which are always they're always kind of funny. Clarification there, like, does the league have a person or a series of people who are like the gurus of their rules and regulations that like will be following up? Like, oh, actually, you have to pay him like two thousand dollars less a yeah, year, so otherwise. They, I mean, they have an entire. They have an entire player department. Is, is All right. Then. Called. Um, and, you know, Todd Durbin's in front of, in charge of that. And, and they, there are different people that work with different sets of teams, essentially. So there are guys that are responsible for working with like three or four teams. And that's the main thrust of their job. Um, and making sure that those teams are compliant and everything's above board. Um, and, you know, uh, doing other things that I'm not aware of, to be honest. Um, you know, I don't know the full scope of their jobs. Just, so I don't want to act like I do, um, but you know, part of it is to to work with work with the teams and making sure the signings that they're bringing on are are under the cap and and all of that stuff and, and and go through the right mechanisms and et cetera, et cetera. So yes, there are people that GMs and technical directors and sporting directors can call at the league office and, set, and use as a resource. Certainly. And why did you and Paul decide to write this article? It feels like it's one that you all have maybe been talking about back and forth for like several years, and now was the time to do it. But I'm wondering if that's the case or where the inspiration came from. Yes, yeah, sort of. I mean, like it was, it, it was. It's one that we talk about all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like when it, I talk to Paul a lot, and and a lot of times we're like, oh, can you believe this roster rule? Or man, wouldn't it be so much easier if it was like this? And it was, it got to a point where we were just having that conversation within our broader conversations pretty frequently. And it was like, Hey, why don't we write an article about this in the off season? Um, and you know, the CBA coming up, uh, kind of gives it a good little news hook because if there is a time to overhaul the entire system, it's when a CBA negotiation is happening. Cause a lot of these things would have to be collectively bargained. Um, so, you know, we thought what better time than now? And, you know, we spent two or three hours on the phone. <laughs> um, dreaming this up, and then uh, and then actually wrote it out. Um, so so that's how it came about. So it, this wasn't like a summit meeting or anything. You all did it over the phone. That that could be that could be difficult with <laughs> delay and whatnot. Yeah. So when I lived in Chicago, it would have been like you know over lunch or drinks or coffee or whatever. I'm sure. Um, but no, it was uh, it was over the phone since we are we are in different locations. And what, what for you at least, uh, maybe not for Paul, what, what area or like areas in the current system do you think is the most confusing or the one that makes you scratch your head uh, most regularly? It sounds like it relates to allocation oh, money man. since no one even knows who has what and how mm. much they might have. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely part of it. Like, I mean, the, the kind of opacity and the vagueness around allocation money and, and as you mentioned, how much of it exists and how much is being applied to certain players that part's confusing to me. I mean, for me, like Gam and Tam, I like to think I have a good understanding of and, and how they work. Um, so that part isn't so confusing to me. Um, but yeah, just kind of the lack of transparency on that is is pretty big. I mean, one thing that I think would be cool is just if 
and we didn't even talk about this in the piece. We just kind of straight up forgot about it. Is if the league just kind of made public what the budget charges were for certain mm-hmm. people or for all players. Um, and, you know, I'm not expecting them to do that. No league really does that. That's the job of people like myself and other reporters um, to go and figure that out. But, you know, the union numbers are pretty accurate. Um, but, you know, the guaranteed compensation, that's sort of an average over the life of the contract. And it, it takes into account bonuses that maybe you hit, maybe you don't. Like all of those things. And then, of course, they don't factor in allocation money. So it would be interesting to see how teams spend the allocation money on their players um, and, and how they kind of account for the budget charges. But in our system, we got a read of the allocation money anyway. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that wouldn't even be a problem. Um, there you go. Solving so, things prematurely. I like you know, that is a, that, that's definitely one area of confusion. I mean, I think just kind of the – even the international slots and, and the homegrown player international rule is, is a fun one um, to me. Um, a lot of the more confusing ones, I think, are kind of the ones that are in the weeds and very rarely used. Um, but those aren't even really worth talking about. Really <laughs> I also think, like, because you all spent some time in the weeds, like, things that are even sort of uh, difficult to understand to an, like a lay person, you all are sort of like, oh, no, that makes basic sense. As an example, uh, you've just used the phrase budget charge two or three times. For people who yeah. aren't so up on like MLS rules and regulations, can you explain yeah, what yeah. that is? Because it seems like it's a simple thing that sort of like sure. gets a little bit difficult once you dive into it a bit more. Yeah, so in other sports, they would call this the, the cap hit mm-hmm. right, of a player. It's the same thing. Um, so basically what it is, it's, it's their salary in most cases, right? And then so you take their salary and then you subtract any allocation money applied to it, essentially. Um, and then there's if the player was acquired using a transfer fee or a loan fee, then that has to be factored in. And in most cases, so I'll just, I'll just try and keep the math simple for the sake of myself mainly, but also for everyone listening. <laughs> um, so if a player, if you pay a million dollar transfer fee for player X, mm-hmm. right? And you sign him to a four-year contract worth $500,000 a year, right? So his salary is $500,000. So that's his starting point for the budget charge, right? But you have to factor in the transfer fee too. So in most cases, how it would work is is you take that million dollars, you divide it by the length of the contract, so four years, that's 250 k per year. You add that to the salary, right? So then you got 500 plus 250, that's 750. That's the budget. That's the starting point for the budget charge. Now, 750 that's above the max, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that player would either have to be a designated player or you'd have to use TAM um, to get his budget charge below the max, which was $530,000 last year. Um, and if you use TAM, you could use up to $600,000 of it in this specific case to get it all the way down to 150 if you so chose. Um, so that player's charge would be anywhere between 530 if he was a DP or if you only used, what, 220000 um, of TAM? all the way in in between there and 150 to use the full boat of tan on him um so that's that's what the budget charge is and that's how much that player counts towards your salary budget or your salary cap um which was what 4.24 million last year um so that's 
that's I don't know if that makes sense. Hopefully it did. But I think that's it does. Sort of how it works. But but what doesn't okay, make cool. as much sense to me, and this isn't a you question, this is more a league question that I'm hoping you can make sense of, is why does the transfer fee need to be factored in? Do you know like the background or the reasoning for that? I'm assuming it relates to thinking there's a way that teams can get away with like putting like a higher transfer fee that doesn't count towards the budget. I guess I'm just not entirely sure why those two things sure. get added together. Yeah, so basically you can sort of just hide money in transfer fees, right? So it's an easy way to work around the salary cap. So if they didn't count, you know, teams could go out here and say, um, you know, uh, we're going to pay a $10 million transfer fee. And like, maybe you can rig it in a way where 5 million goes to the club and 5 million goes to the player. (laughs) And then, you know, you say, well, this player has 5 million. That's essentially like a a little bonus. It doesn't count towards the cap. So it it prevents things like that from happening. Um, And also, you know, sort of prevents... Uh, it maintains parity, which is important to the league too. Um, so, you know, that's uh, just kind of leveling the playing field a little bit. That's one of the reasons I would imagine. Anyway, these are all kind of assumptions on my part. Mm-hmm. I don't have specific answers, but it seems to make sense. It, that, well, that makes sense to me. And I guess that like is my other like kind of broad ranging question for you is like, like maybe there are things that don't make sense to me, but once you kind of delve deeper into them or once Sam just straight up explains them, they make more sense and the mechanisms become more clear. Was that the case for you and Paul with a lot of this, that it was like, once you got into the very nitty gritty, it was like, Oh, okay. I see why this rule needed to exist because of this, even though it convolutes this and complicates this, or is it just the case that at the end of it, you're still like, that doesn't really make sense. I don't know why they have this. Yeah, sort of. I mean, when you when you think about it, like, so MLS started with all of these rules at some point, right? And and they've built on that system. It's like a layer cake, right? So when you're when you're starting with allocation money and you want to increase spending, but you want to do it in a certain way and you sort of want to reverse engineer these outcomes, yeah, it makes sense why they do it in a certain way. So like TAM, for instance, right? So TAM was added to the league in 2015. And it's been added in different increments. And now teams can spend up to $4 million per year in targeted allocation money, which essentially doubles the salary cap, right? Um, and so you have that, but it can only be spent on certain players. And it's sort of, it, it can only be spent on guys who have a budget charge higher than the max, which is, again, 530000 Um so what that basically did is it said, we're going to sign these players that aren't quite DPs, but... Um, are better than the rest, and you know we're going to fill out those roster spots like four through ten. Um, so it was very targeted, no pun intended there, um, to 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 work in that sort of way. And because of the way the league is structured and the way the league can approve deals, um, it was targeted in and designed in a way where that money and those deals, at least at the beginning, were going primarily to foreign players or players coming into the league from foreign leagues, I should say. Um, and not going to guys that were already here because MLS didn't want to have to spend this money on players that they already had, right? They're like, well, if we're going to infuse this new cash into the system, then we want to do it to attract new, better talent. We don't want to spend it on guys that are already here. Um, So when you think of it like that, right? Well, it's like, yeah, that makes sense, right? Why would the league want to just like re-sign players that they already have um, to new, more expensive deal. You know, you're spending more money, but you're not spending that money better, right? Um, so it makes sense from that standpoint. Um, and I would argue that there are some inefficiencies that have been created um, with that. Um, but my whole thing is, like, just give the teams the power, mm-hmm. you know? MLS used to be a league, you know, if you look back 15 years ago or so, and 
there were 10 teams and three ownership groups, um, there wasn't like a ton of expertise necessarily. And, and, and the budgets of the front offices, right? Not to spend on players, but to spend on, on GMs and coaches. It was small, right? And they didn't have big staffs and they didn't have big scouting departments and they were running pretty bare bones. And so they needed that help from the leading office, right? So, and, and, oh, by the way, like they also needed the league office to make sure things remained fair, right? Because yeah. if you have three ownership groups for 10 teams, you don't want w- one owner who owns three teams playing favorites with those teams. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you know, I kind of forgot that was the system. That, yeah, you kind of have to have that centralized control. But now you're in a place here in 2019 going into 2020 where you're going to have 26 teams. Quite a few of them spend quite a bit of money on their executives. Um, quite a few of them spend quite a bit of money on their scouting staffs and just overall technical staff infrastructure. And they have the expertise, or at least they're paying for the expertise, um, to go out and do these things on their own. So let them. You know what I mean? That's sort of my point of view. And if they make the mistakes, they make the mistakes. But these are, this is what these people are being paid to do. Um, this is what they're being judged on by their bosses. Um, so go ahead and give them the freedom to operate in the, in the way they so choose, right? And if that means re-signing players to expensive deals that they already have, so be it. If that means cutting guys that are on their roster and going and signing every player from, you know, the second division in Bulgaria, so be it. Like, just let them do it how they want it. Um, that's sort of my point of view and, and kind of have a little bit of survival of the fittest. Hey, folks, this is Taylor jumping in. Much more still to come uh, from my conversation with Mr. Sam Stashkul. We're talking about difficult, hard-to-grasp topics. And speaking of hard, today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Hims, a new wellness brand for men. 4hims.com is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. The holiday season is upon us, and you could try a free online visit to get started with Hims, which provides you with Santa's little helper. Uh, I appreciate that copy. I see what they're doing here. Because 40% of men by age 40 struggle from not being able to get and maintain an erection, but men tend to turn to weird solutions like uh, like gas station counter supplements and praying to Santa to deliver them with some good news, um, when they could just turn to medicine and science. Uh, basically, Hims connects you with real licensed doctors and FDA-approved pharmaceutical products to treat erectile dysfunction. They offer well-known generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions to help you combat ED. Uh, it's a very, very easy process. You answer questions about your medical history, chat with the doctor for a confidential review. If you're approved, then products are shipped directly to your door. They don't even come down the chimney. They come directly to the door. Uh, so your holiday candle could find its match. Uh, if you try hymns today by starting out with a free online visit, go to forhymns.com slash total soccer ed. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash total soccer ed. One more time, forhymns.com slash total soccer ed. Prescription products are subject to doctor approval and require an online consultation with a physician who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. You can see the website for full details and safety information, but this could cost hundreds if you went in person to the doctor's office or to a pharmacy. That would be the difficult uh, option. The easier option would be to remember that 4hims.com slash totalsoccered will get you covered this holiday season. So thank you very much to 4hims for sponsoring today's episode and making a hard concept less challenging. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, Now back to my conversation with Mr. Sam Stashkel. So uh, I want to clarify that I don't disagree with anything Sam said, but uh, most of the time I'm just kind of nodding along while trying to keep numbers in my head when he's talking because math hurts my brain. Uh, So yes, a lot of times I am nodding along without actually agreeing. But yes, Sam, I agree with everything you said. But that then leads me 
to to want to kind of get into it a little bit. So uh, for people who haven't sure. read the article, I don't want to step on it too much, so people will go subscribe to the Athletic and read it. Um, but what are sort of the like cliff? What's the Cliff's Notes version of what you all uh, came up with? Sure. So first off, we eliminated allocation money, right? And we folded that into the salary budget or the salary cap in NBA or NFL parlance, right? Um, and so what we did is we created a, a spending floor of $9 million and a spending ceiling of $20 million. Um, we maintained designated players. So you can still have three DPs um, that hit at the that hit that, that spending floor ceiling budget at, at a charge of $2 million apiece. Um, transfer and loan fees are still folded into the budget charges um, for, for the rest of the players. Um, so basically what it looks like is, you know, if you have a roster where three guys are, are hitting the cap at 2 million and you can spend up to 20, um, then, you know, you can, I, I worked it out and I wish I, I had, I deleted it, but essentially you can, you can go down and the next group of guys can be, they can be hitting at 1.5, like the next three guys. And then the next four guys can hit at a million. Um, and then below that, the next four can hit at 500. And then below that, the next three can hit at 250. And pretty soon you're, you're looking at 18 or so guys um, that are making good money, right? If you're spending that 20 million um, in a way that if you go out and sign them from abroad or if you start developing them from your academies or whatever, you're going to have a pretty good team in a pretty good league, right? Because it's the issue in MLS, in my opinion, anyway, it's not spending. If you look at kind of how MLS teams spend comparable to even teams in like Leeds in France or even Syria ah, in Italy or Holland, right? A lot of them spend pretty competitively on salaries. Mm -hmm. The transfer fees might not be as high here, um, but they spend pretty competitively on salaries. The issue is it's not really smoothed out over the roster. Things are really top heavy, right? So Toronto spent like 22 million in salaries last year. I think like 14 or 15 of that was on Josie, Bradley, and Pozuelo. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's what if you take that money and instead of spending whatever percentage, two thirds of it on those three players, what if you spend it more evenly across the entire roster? Right. Um, I think then you have better teams, you have more competition within the rosters um, and, and you have a better league overall um, while still allowing for stars and star power. Um, so those are kind of the main things. Um you know, there's a lot more, obviously. <laughs> um, one of one of the other one of the other big things is that we wanted to encourage development, right? So homegrown players never count against the salary budget. Um, there's no cap on the number of homegrown players you can sign. Um, we expanded the roster size to 35 to kind of allow teams to sign more homegrowns to MLS deals, um, because one of the things that's happened here in recent years is. You know, you offer an academy kid a USL contract first, and he's like, well, I don't want to sign a USL deal. I want an MLS deal. But maybe you don't have space on your MLS roster. Maybe he's not quite ready yet. Um, and, you know, you need to go and use those roster spots on guys that can help you. And then maybe he gets a little offended and says, you know what, I'm just going to wait until I'm 18, and then I'm going to go to Germany and Holland for free. And that's not an outcome that is good for the league or for the clubs at not all. Not so much, no. Right? If that kid wants to go, if that kid wants to go and, and that's the way it is, that's fine, Right. It's his choice, but it shouldn't be because of some roster designation or because they don't have space to offer him an MLS deal. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, so all homegrown players wouldn't count towards the cap. So if you're a club like Dallas, right, and you're not going to spend a ton of money, but you have like 10 homegrowns who contribute, right, 
you can have those 10 homegrowns take up a third of your roster. You can pay them whatever you want. It's not going to count towards your budget. And then if you're only going to want to spend 10 million, right, just barely get above the floor, well, you can spread that 10 million out instead of, instead of spreading it around to 25 players, you can spread it around to 10 to 15, Mm -hmm. you know, and then that average player is going to be a little bit better. Right. And, and maybe your team's a little bit better. So it rewards development a little bit in that way. And if you have a guy like a Jordan Morris, right, who's a real contributor on an MLS Cup winner, right, every game starter and one of the leading scorers and assist guys for the Sounders, and he doesn't count towards your cap at all or your budget, excuse me, um, that's that's a pretty damn good incentive, right? Um, so so that was part of it too. That makes sense. Don't don't call it a cap, Sam, or you're going to hear about it. It's going to be problems. I know. I know. <laughs> um, it's a budget. Please um, correct me every time I do that. Oh, I will. I'm going to be super pedantic. <laughs> I'm not going to be because that will bite me in the, bite me in the butt very quickly. Um, one one thing that I thought was interesting uh, when you're talking about homegrowns not counting, uh, you all are eliminating discovery rights. Correct? Does that also mean you're getting rid of like the yes. areas yes. of homegrown signage? Yes. Okay. Yes. So those are two different things, but yeah. So discovery rights for those who do not know. Um, basically, in order to sign a player from abroad, you have to have his discovery rights. So if a team wanted to go out and sign Cristiano Ronaldo, they would first have to have heard his of him. discovery rights, which is hilarious, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, imagine, Inter-Miami, they discovered Cristiano Ronaldo I mean, at age 34. You like, all called it dibs, you know, and, and that's correct. It's dibs. Yeah. yeah it's dibs. Like, and so Shotgun Ronaldo. Like, Toronto had to... Toronto had to deal with this with when they were trying to sign Pozuelo, which was like an incredibly complex negotiation that I wrote pretty in depth about before MLS Cup. Um, and they had to first go get Pozuelo's rights and they had to pay another team for his discovery rights. It's, it's happened with Almi Rohn. It happened with Valeri. Um, it's happened with a bunch of these guys. And it, like it's 50,000 in general allocation money. So it's not like it's a huge deal. And most of the time it's just like, Hey, can we have these? Like, and they're like, yeah, fine, easy. Um, but sometimes it's a little more complicated and it shouldn't work like that. So, you know, if you, and, and the idea behind that is to prevent teams from competing against each other to sign foreign players, right? So you, you avoid bidding wars. So if two teams want to sign Cristiano Ronaldo, right, he can't go, two, two, two MLS teams, I should say, he can't go, well, LA offered me 10 million. Uh, Miami, do you want to raise that? Do you want to do you want to offer me twelve? And then just keep going back and forth. And I get that to an extent, right? Um, but that being said, that goes back into what I was saying earlier about you know let these teams go out there and compete, let the strongest survive, and you know kind of reward ambition. And uh, those who want to keep up will will find a way to keep up, and those who don't um, will fall by the wayside, and and that's fine, um, you know. Uh, something will change or they will continue to suck. Right. So, um, <laughs> that's, that's what discovery rights are. Those are silly eliminate them and let teams kind of battle it out. And then same thing for homegrown rights, how it works now. And it has sort of been liberalized over the years already. Um, but basically every team has their own homegrown area where they can draw every youth player in that area is sort of, the, they have discovery rights on essentially. And if that player wants to say not play, for, you know, whatever, LAFC, or I won't use LAFC. If he decides that he doesn't want to play for the Chicago Fire and he would rather play for Sporting Kansas City, um, well, then the Chicago Sporting Kansas City have to get permission from the Chicago Fire to bring that kid into the academy. Mm-hmm. And if a club is feeling jilted or uh, feeling like they don't want to help out Sporting KC, then they can prevent that kid from going into that academy. I believe we saw this with 
Christian Kappas. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm butchering that pronunciation. Uh, I've and there gone was back something and forth with in the Houston. pronunciation like 40 times, so don't yeah. worry about it. I'm with you. With Houston and Dallas, mm-hmm. where he had a situation where he was in Houston's homegrown territory and he wanted to play in Dallas's academy, and Houston, according to him, wouldn't let him, and he just ended up going to Denmark um, instead, <laughs> right? And that's not something – I mean, if a kid wants to play in a certain academy, let the kid make his own choice. You know what I mean? That's how it works everywhere else in the world. So, so let it happen here. Um, I do think we're getting there anyway. The expectation is that those are going to be gone. Um, so I, I think that'll happen regardless. But yeah, we we got rid of those territories. And in, in your system, would you like to see something akin to like what we see a lot in Europe where young players are like, I think it's what, like 16 years old or something like that, like can be brought in, they're in the academy, they play there for like a season or two, and they technically count as homegrown or like home-developed players, and so you don't have the hit on international roster spaces and stuff like that when you're talking about, say, Premier League teams. Is that something you would like to see where, um, let's just say, like a young Brazilian kid can come in, play in the FC Dallas Academy, and technically qualifies as a homegrown player, and thus you're sort of then incentivizing like youth development both at, at home and abroad almost? Yeah. Um, I think the qualification we had was that you have to spend a full calendar year in the academy right. before mm-hmm. you can be signed to the, to the homegrown as a homegrown player. Um, but regardless of where you come from, if you spend those 12 months in the academy, you can sign a homegrown deal. Um, so, and that's, that's how it works now, unless I'm misremembering. So that's not, uh, that's not any different than, it, right. than the current system cool. to be, to be fair. All right. That makes me happy. So, uh, Daryl and I, uh, did a like pro rel episode a, like a week ago or two weeks ago now for <laughs> soccer one oh one, And that was, that was, uh, contentious at times in terms of coming up with uh pro rel plans that are like, no, well, no, this, this negates that, that won't work this way. It's, it's a lot of those sort of like, well, we have this structure in place. And so you can't deviate from that structure in order to have this one. And, and it, it leads yeah. to a lot of head scratching and confusion. I'm wondering if there were areas in this article that you and Paul sort of disagreed on or areas that you all really had to go down a rabbit hole to figure out how you were going to sort of bridge, bridge a divide. Yeah. So this got mentioned briefly in the comment section of the piece, but sort of free agency was one. And okay. do we want to have restricted free agency? And do we want to have bird rights, which is like an NBA thing that allows a player's current team to pay more than anybody else. Um, and part of us were like, yeah, you know, like if, if Atlanta or Orlando or whoever sign a guy and develop him and he outperforms his contract, um, then they should be able to pay him more than any other team as like a further, as like a reward for how they developed that player and give them a better chance um, to keep him. Right. Or, or maybe there's like an offer sheet thing, right. Where a player can go sign an offer sheet with any team, but his original team has a chance to match it. And if they do match it, he automatically goes back to that original team. Right. But I don't know, I'm for player rights and freedoms. Um, and the whole idea of kind of these restrictions is kind of crazy to me um, in the first place. Like, you know, if we wanted to, you know, if I wanted to go and write for another company or if you wanted to go and do <laughs> a podcast, mm-hmm. you know, with somebody else, you could do that. Right? right. Like we have that freedom of movement. I'm not saying either of us would, but we could like, and if, if anyone listening, unless you've signed a contract, most, I would imagine most people listening are probably at will employees. But unless they've signed a contract, they're free to, they're free to move where they want, take mm-hmm. what job that they want. And, and I think that to an extent anyway, you know, you have contracts for seasons, right. Um, but when the term of that contract ends, you should be able to go wherever you want. And if your current team, has treated you right and has done the right things as a club to make themselves attractive and make themselves a good place to play, then that's enough of a leg up for that current team. 
and signing them. Um, you know what I mean? Um, and, and if they want to match it, if they don't, whatever. Um, but again, I think it encourages good practices and good behaviors from clubs uh, to kind of give players that freedom of movement. Um, and I think it incentivizes them to, to be attractive places to play. And I don't think MLS is in a place like, say, the NBA, where a lot of guys only want to go to LA or New York or whatever, right? There, there's enough disparity within the clubs where it's like, you know, Portland do things really well. Atlanta do, does things really well. Like, and they take care of players or whoever, right? Like that it's not just going to be a big city, small city thing. It'll be more a good club, bad club thing. And I think that's fun. And do you think the lack of like, I, I would say like useful free agency, because the point you all make is like what you have to be 28, have played a number of years. Like Drew Moore, yeah. I think is the best free agent example that, that we can come up with right yeah. now. Yeah, Beta sure, Drew Moore. Yeah, like it's mm. guys like that. And I'm not taking anything away from those players who made yeah. big, big impacts with Toronto FC and LAFC, um, both clubs in the case of Beta sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like how many free agents move a year? It's like about 10. Right. And in most cases, like, you know, I think I feel like every free agent Kansas City has signed has like immediately gotten injured and missed the entire season, right? It's like Rodney Wallace, Brad Evans, Brad Davis, Justin Matt. Like that's four right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like it's just not super impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like it's if if you have seven years, right? Bradley Wright Phillips, like, is a good example, right? Like he's how many years? I think he's been in the league like six years or something like that. He's thirty five. And he's not technically he, he was not eligible for MLS free agency. And it's like, well, why not? You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of silly. Like, let the guy go where he wants. Um, is this is that so, I was going to say, is that like an example then, do you think, of like him not being eligible for, for free agency? Is that another sign of the league sort of not wanting the teams to have to compete? I think that's I mean, I think that might might be part of it. I mean, I, I, I don't know, like it. I, I really don't know the motivations there. Yeah. I don't know enough about the backstory, but it could just be a situation where it's like, you know, you get at the negotiating table and the league is like, well, we're only going to go this far. And then the players union says, okay, well, we want it to be this far. Right. And we'll give on this, or we'll give on that, or, or the league's giving on this or giving on that. And then you hammer on agreement on, on the free agency negotiating point. Right. So I don't know the explicit reasons, um, but I mean, it's not really free agency. Mm. Like even for the guys that make it to 28 and eight, there are a lot of restrictions on what their contracts can look like. Um, you know, if you're, if you're like a DP and, and you want to go be a free agent, well then, you know, you can't really be a DP um, on any on any team that's not the one that you were on before, mm-hmm. and so it's just like it's it's so restricted, and the, I think a max is a two year deal, and so it's just like you know it's sort of free agency, but it's not in a lot of other ways. So I don't know, just just open it up, you know what I mean? Give the players the freedom. It's, that one's pretty simple to me, and that's sort of why we didn't do any of the restricted stuff. It's just like just give the players the freedom of movement, and maybe that's maybe that's a little unrealistic. That's probably one of the more unrealistic things that we did. Um, but uh, you know, I think that would be, I think that would be fair and equitable, and I think it would lead to pretty good outcomes in most cases. And and I should clarify, uh, I, I agree with that. I should clarify that, like, uh, I think upfront you all said that basically you're operating in a like pie in the sky model that's also sort of grounded in reality, which is to say that you weren't sort of implementing pro rel. You weren't going away from single entity. Uh, I think there was one more thing in there. I, f- I forget what it was, but 
I'm wondering, like, how yeah. much how much of the current structure do you think relates to uh, one of the most interesting comments I saw? Uh, and the comments for this article were all pretty pretty informed and interesting, which is a rarity for the internet. So well done, the Athletic. Um, but the <laughs> idea that like basically a lot of this structure exists to prevent MLS from getting sued uh, by like violating uh, w- like workers' rights or freedom of movement, anything like that. So yeah. they kind of exist as a single entity. Is that fair to say? Man, I. I wish I knew more about the legal side of it. And like, maybe this is a, another story that I can report and write at mm-hmm. some point down the road. Um, but I would imagine there is an element of that to pretty much all of this. Um, I can't say for certain. And I, like I said, I don't know enough about the legal aspect um, to really speak on it expertly, but I would, I would imagine it's an element to a lot of these things. And have you all heard back from any uh, front office people yet who've, who've like read the piece and like, like what you've yeah. written or vehemently disagree with what you've written? <laughs> Yeah, no, I've I've heard back from a few, um, few agents, few front office folks, um, few former players, that sort of thing. Um, most of the feedback was pretty positive. I mean, everyone has like, well, I would, might change this one thing, and I was like, oh, I didn't really think of that. Um, or you know, like you know, getting rid of allocation money, like that's that like would never really happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right, but like, you know, that was something that we at least wanted to include, and it's not so pie in the sky um, that that it wasn't completely out of the question, like, like pro rel or mm. increasing spending to a hundred million a team or, um, you know, uh, removing single entity, like those things would be. Um, so, so yeah, it's been mostly positive. I haven't talked to Paul about that. I don't know if he's technically on paternity leave. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if anyone's reached out to him about it, but, um, yeah, it, it seems to have sparked some, uh, at least thought or discussion, um, at, with people at, at different teams in the league. Does Paul technically being on paternity leave mean that Paul is never entirely not writing something? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, did, did are you saying that did he write this article? Did I write it? Oh, no, like... no, 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 no. More, more so, just like I'm wondering what what like technically being on paternity leave means. Does that mean that just Paul is well, never like away from his phone for entirely too long? Yeah, no. I mean, I think you know, babies take naps, right? <laughs> and. Uh, when babies take naps and Paul's home alone, well, you know, maybe he gets a little bored. I don't, I don't, I, you know, I think, and, and maybe, you know, Paul's a great reporter and uh, he likes talking about MLS. So, you know, that hasn't, uh, that hasn't completely gone away while he's been watching the little one. That makes sense. That makes sense to me. So we, yeah. we do have CBA negotiations coming up. Uh, you mentioned in the very beginning of your article that it seems like the present system will likely continue uh, have you heard much about what might change or what alterations there could be to the present system? Not a ton. You know, the the PA has been pretty public in, in terms of what they want, um, and they want to get rid of some of these allocation money, and, and obviously they want to increase player movement and, and the freedoms that go along with that. Um, I just think, and I, I kind of wrote about this a couple of months ago, you know, most of the cards are with MLS here, and I think that's just, you know, wages have gone up for MLS players. Um, but a lot of these guys are still making, you know, under $75,000 a year. And not that that's not a good salary for a normal person um, anywhere in, in the country or in Canada. Um, but it, it also kind of creates situations where you can't afford to miss too many paychecks, mm-hmm. right? And so for that reason alone, I think a strike uh, of significant length is going to be difficult. Um, so I think for for kind of that reason, the owners are going to have most of the leverage and they're going to be able to kind of dictate the discussion. Um, and that's not really anyone's fault. Um, that's just sort of, I think, the reality of the situation. 
Um, and so we'll see. Maybe maybe the players will prove me wrong, and maybe they'll have the appetite for for a significant strike or work stoppage that would be able to change things. Um, but I don't. If I had to guess, I would say they wouldn't. And so for that reason, I would say MLS will probably um, get most of what they want um, in the CBA negotiations. Hey folks, this is Taylor jumping in one more time to let you know that today's episode is brought to you in part by our friends over at HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit delivery service. You can get easy seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door. All you have to do is cook and enjoy. The cooking part can be complex. It's worth noting. Like if you get a bunch of ingredients, uh, you pick them up at the grocery store, you bring them home, you've got to check the recipe, you've got to find the recipe on your phone, it's going to be small, you've got to scroll through the, the wall of text about how important it was for this person to make Brussels sprouts and all of their their endeavors and achievements that they went through, uh, as Chelsea Peretti once said, or to paraphrase her, uh, get to the recipe, my scroll finger hurts. You don't have to deal with that with HelloFresh because they give you the recipe card, they give you some pictures, they give you a step-by-step guide to make cooking very easy, and they make it easy to break out of your holiday rut, your dinner rut, so to speak, with HelloFresh's 20-plus seasonal chef-curated recipes each week. There's something for everyone, so you've got family recipes. You've got Calorie Smart, Vegetarian, Fun Menu Series like Hall of Fame and Kraft Burgers. Basically, they have more five-star recipes than any other meal kit, so you know you're going to get something delicious, but something that is also easy to cook without having a ton of like leftover ingredients and a quarter of an onion left that you don't know what to do with. They've measured it out to be precise, to make your life easy, to minimize waste. Uh, so, for a limited time only, you can get nine meals free with HelloFresh. You go to HelloFresh.com slash TSS9 and enter the code TSS9. One more time, that's uh, HelloFresh.com slash TSS9, TSS and then the number nine. And then you enter the code TSS9, again, TSS the number nine, uh, to get those nine meals for free with HelloFresh. We really appreciate HelloFresh sponsoring today's episode because they make it easy to eat healthy and eat smart at a time when it's very easy to pack on those pounds. So if you're going to try to like go, if you maybe went hard for Thanksgiving, then you want to back off in preparation for more Christmas food and all the cookies and sugar and everything that goes with that. Uh, if you're Santa, for example, maybe you want to eat some like calorie smart meals to make sure that you're ready for the evening when you have to eat cookies around the world, then HelloFresh has you covered. So once again, thank you very much to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's episode. Now back one more time to Sam Stashkel explaining MLS rules and procedures. So I obviously have less of a memory for these things than you and Paul, but I, I, I remember the last time, or at least one of the last times the CBA, th- like CBA was up for negotiation. That was when we got the limited free agency because that seemed like a sticking point for yeah. players. This time around, do you think there's like one particular issue that the players could focus on and try to make happen or, or maybe will focus on and try to make happen as opposed to kind of going for lots of little things and hoping they get a few of them? Um. You know, I mean, I don't think it's going to be any huge one point. I mean, free agency was a huge thing. I think free agency will be a big big thing again in opening it up, and I expect it to be liberalized to there and, and the restrictions kind of pulled back um, a little bit. Maybe we see like a 25-5 and five instead of a 28-8, and eight, something like that. Um, charter flights will be an issue. You know, that's I don't think they will be as big as an issue as um, the amount of attention they've gotten over the last calendar year. Um, you know, when it comes down to it, it a player is going to choose um, having a little more money in his pocket than going on a charter flight. And shoot, I can't knock that choice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, having said that, I do expect there to be more charter flights um, than than the current limit of four legs per season um, going forward. So I think there will be some give there. 
you know, I really, I am interested to see kind of if they change any of the, the kind of more in the weeds, um, mechanisms like allocation, for instance, not allocation money, but the allocation process, right. Where returning U S national team players and guys who left the league for more than a $500,000 transfer fee have to go through the allocation order to be re-signed, which can be a whole mess. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see if things like that go away. Um, what happens like with the re-entry draft? Um, you know, so I think, I think, is there going to be one big thing? I'm not really sure. Um, I do think the focus is going to be on a lot of little things because that's really what these roster rules are. It's a lot of little things. And from the team perspective, who are the teams or organizations that tend to want things to increase? They want a higher salary budget. They want more DPs. And who are the teams to, that tend to fight against that or be more content with the way things are right now? Yeah, so, I mean, this isn't going to be any surprise to anyone. The teams that spend more now want to be able to spend more in the future. That's kind of what and I think. The teams that are towards, yeah, and the teams that are towards the bottom of it, uh, you know, want to keep a pretty tight cap so they can continue to compete to the extent that they do now. Um, without significantly increasing uh, their costs. Um, so, you know, um, I would imagine Atlanta and LAFC want to open this thing up pretty bad. Um, I would say teams like Dallas, uh, Colorado, uh, I think Minnesota might fall into this group, um, are, are kind of more comfortable with the current system. And then there's kind of the, you know, the swing votes. Right. Um, like, you know, I'm really curious where like Seattle and Portland lie on, on these sorts of things. Right. Because they're working pretty well under the current setup. Right. But yes. like they're it's also a, relatively ambitious. Mm-hmm. They're relatively ambitious, too. Right. But are they as ambitious from, OK, we're going to go drop 10 million on a transfer, 15 million on a transfer as Atlanta or Toronto or either of the L.A. teams? No, they're not. Right. And that's no slight to them. But that's just kind of the reality of the situation. So where are they going to fall? And uh, that's going to be really interesting to me. Um, where are their ownership groups going to fall? Um, and I think that could sort of be um, that could potentially be a bellwether for where this thing ends up. And one more question about the teams. Um, from your experience, from what you have heard, or like from the people you've talked to yourself, is there one front office, or even like, or a couple of front offices, or a couple of individuals who are especially adept at navigating things? And like, I guess what I think of a, as an example that doesn't really quite work, but like, I always go back to when MLS like fooled around with the fourth substitution, and I think it like only could be used on goalkeepers or whatever. And Bob Bradley like <laughs> subbed in a player, yeah. subbed him in for goalkeeper, <laughs> then swapped them in. Like, like, like. Are there people who are particularly good at trying to find loopholes and take advantages of rules, or does it tend to be more of a, like, oh, we'll figure it out when we need to figure it out in the moment? Yeah, get creative with it. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Uh, I think Atlanta has been pretty good at it, actually, um, in kind of how they've structured some of their contracts. I believe Leandro Gonzalez-Pirez mm-hmm. is kind of one of those um, where they sort of escalated it quite a bit um, from one year to the next to sort of make everything work. Um, on the cap. Um, I think Portland has been pretty good at it historically. Um, I'm trying to think of other teams that, you know, the Galaxy have certainly gotten creative with it mm-hmm. um, over the years and, and, in, the, and in recent years too. Um, so yeah, there, there are a few teams out there, but it's, it is interesting, right? Because you have the set system. And I always go back to like um, reading Moneyball, right? And I don't know if you've ever read the book or saw the movie, but it was like all about exploiting market inefficiencies, mm-hmm. right? So you have sort of a set market in a way um in mls right that's what the rules create and so it's like how can you kind of find those little loopholes to give yourself a competitive advantage 
over the other teams that are spending roughly the same amount of money that, that you are. Um, and I do think that's, I think that's what makes being, um, you know, apart from like going and watching soccer games and trying to pick players and sign players to me, that would, that would be something that would make being a GM or being in one of these front offices really interesting. It's just kind of figuring out that puzzle and, and trying to find those little spaces that you can maybe turn into a bigger space and create a little bit of a wedge and get a competitive advantage. Um, to me, I think that's really interesting. And I think, I think Atlanta has done a good job, um, uh, particularly at the beginning. Um, I think Portland has done a good job. I think LA have done a good job. And then there are other teams out there too that, that have done a nice, nice job. You know, New York City FC, right? They have some advantages there with City Football Group. Yeah. Um, they've done a good job with that. Red Bulls, Red Bulls too, you know, and, and kind of getting guys on loan and, and, and things like that. So um, there are different models for it. There are different ways to go about it, but I do think it is pretty interesting for sure. Um, my big takeaway from Moneyball was that I don't want to be the GM of the uh, Oakland A's. So that, like, maybe we had different <laughs> takeaways, but but there you go. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, you know, he's been there, what, like 20 years now. So uh, he ain't going anywhere. There you go. Uh, all right well or just hire brad pitt that's my other big takeaway and then he'll he'll make things right and be sort of curt with front office people and that seems to be how it works i mean isn't david beckham sort of the mls brad pitt right like you know (laughs) miami's got him on board i mean if if we're if we're doing casting of the gms right oh i see sort of reverse casting yeah right yeah and Uh not that david's a gm but you know that's i think that's the obvious pick there I think the, the the movie about Inner Miami I will absolutely watch, but I assume it's just David Beckham rubbing his temples while land deals collapse. That's co- sort of my my yeah. Miami movie. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. All right. Uh, so yeah. what have what have you got uh, coming up as we get closer and closer to uh, CBA, to the draft, to like off season, okay. uh, all that good stuff? What have you, what have you got going? Yeah. On? So the board of governors meeting is coming up in New York City tomorrow on thursday um so you know we'll see what comes out of that but i will be down there for it and hanging out in a hotel hallway outside of a conference room and then trying to you know convince people to talk to me as they go out for bathroom breaks mm-hmm. um that's how, that's literally how that works um so it's it's kind of a fun and not at all the meaning of that to be i want to i want to interject there to um, say i, I say frequently <laughs> on this show that like i am not a reporter i don't want to speak for daryl but daryl's not a reporter either and we get i've gotten sure. some feedback on that from people saying like, like don't diminish yourself like don't be down on yourself i'm not being down on myself i'm very happy with my job what i mean to say is that daryl and i are not sitting in a hallway with to ask people questions the way you are we're waiting yeah. from the comfort of our home or office to call you while you're sitting on the floor waiting for people to come out of a room to ask you what's going on so exactly, like, exactly. We, we're covering reporters is i guess my way of putting it but i appreciate you doing that so what happens at the board of governors meeting uh well i don't know i'm you know i'm not allowed in the room right I, I, they don't show me the notes man um but no i'm sure they'll be talking about expansion i'm sure they will be talking about the cba um, I'm sure they will be talking about various other things that are probably pretty boring, even to someone like me, um, who, you know, lives and breathes this stuff. Um, but you know, there's a lot of, I think, kind of interesting things going on. Liga MX actually just came out with a rule yesterday, uh, restricting the number of internationals that can be on teams and can be in the starting lineups, uh, of different teams. So that was sort of driven by Tata Martino, um, who is coach of the Mexican national team, of course. Uh, wanting more Mexicans to get more time in league MX so that the national team could be better. And so that's kind of fascinating to me. And like, could we see something like that in MLS? Why, why not? Um, so I'll probably ask commissioner Garber about that tomorrow at his availability. Um, 
but yeah, so that's, uh, that's sort of what's on the radar. Um, and then of course, you know, all the various transactions and coaching hirings and what the hell exactly is going on with the Chicago fire right now. Um, you know, a lot of different stuff. There's never a dull moment in MLS. It didn't seem like there is. Um, all right. Well, well, Sam, I really appreciate you uh, taking all the time uh, and answering all the questions. Uh, I, my final one for you was, was just this. Uh, with the draft now being essentially a teleconference, what does that mean for you? Do you still like cover it in person, yeah. or, or are you just going to be on the phone listening in? Um, well, I don't think there's anything to cover in mm-hmm. person, right? It's not going to be a physical event anymore. Right. So um, I can do it from the comfort of my own home. You know, I can sit on the couch. Uh, I would be surprised if I was – well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know if there are plans to let media in on the call or – even if it will be a call, I'm not even sure if all of that stuff's been finalized. I can't remember the article my colleagues, my own colleagues wrote like a month ago. That's, that's good. Good by me. Um, but no, uh, so yeah, I don't think there's going to be anything major on, on that regard, but, uh, you know, there probably are going to be GM meetings at some point this winter. Um, probably in a warm location, hopefully. <laughs> and, you know, maybe I can go to those and hang out in some more hallways or, uh, you know, hotel lobbies or wherever they may be, um, and uh, and you know, try and get some scoops. Well, so, if if uh, you uh, are hanging out in lobbies and hotel hallways, I'm sure we'll want to hear about it. But until then, Sam, I, I really appreciate you taking all the time to uh, to discuss the article uh, once again, uh, entitled, I believe, "How We Rewrite MLS's Maddeningly Complex Roster Rules." Uh, I like that. I like that name. <laughs> uh, it gets to the point and is accurate. So, thank you to you. Thank you to Paul for writing it, and uh, people should check that one out. Uh, you can follow Sam on Twitter. Sam, what's your uh, your at name? It's a uh, it's Sam Stasekel. And I'm Easy not going to spell it for anyone. So <laughs> you try and find me. All right. Well, I think it, you could just like copy and paste his name from uh, the title of this show. I'm sure you can find it that way. But Sam, uh, thank you again. Uh, you're, Don't give you're... those hints, Taylor. My, my mistake. My mistake. See, this is why I'm not a reporter. This is why I'm not Edit crafty this enough. Out. <laughs> uh, Sam, thank you. As always, uh, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. It's fun.